1: By the end of the first day, I was like, and I write it in the book. We're like, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're, we're, doing, we're doing everything. And, and they made us, it was, like, it was like Paris Island boot camp of minor league baseball the very first day on the job. And I realized um, it was the hardest I was probably ever going to work, the least amount of money I was ever going to make. But uh, looking back, it was the most fun I ever had.
0: Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host Kyle Banduho. This episode was a treat for me, and I'd like to think that it is something that every minor league baseball fan and college baseball fan will enjoy. Today, we are talking to Ryan McGee, ESPN senior writer and author of the new book "Welcome to the Circus of Baseball: a Story of the Perfect Summer at the Perfect Ballpark at the Perfect Time," which walks through his time as an intern for the Asheville Tourists in 1994. If you love minor league baseball, which if you're listening to the show, I would strong chance you do. Uh, you'll love this book. J.J. Cooper wrote a full review at the, on the Baseball America site, and I'm going to echo that review. This book is an absolute delight. I, I have enjoyed reading it. I was a former minor league intern myself, which which Ryan and I will talk about. But if you love minor league baseball, if you've even been to a minor league baseball game once before in your life, you're going to love this book. Had to have Ryan on to discuss it. We discuss his love for minor league baseball, which is something that that really comes through in this book. We talk about the life of an intern, all the variety of duties and jobs that you have to do. In that workplace, uh, and we get one great story of, of one of the many colorful characters he met during his time in Asheville. Again, highly encourage you guys to pick up the book. It, it has been a lot of fun to dive into. However, we also get to do one of my other favorite things, which is talk college baseball. Because Ryan has another book that is another one of my favorites, The Road to Omaha uh, Ryan chronicled the 2008 College World Series, which, if you remember, is where that underdog Fresno State team shocked the college baseball world, won a title. I cannot let Ryan leave the show without reminiscing about that time in Omaha as well. Again, another thing Ryan has a lot of passion for is the College World Series is there every year, and that year picked a great one to write a book on. Honestly, it is the closest that you can get to be, being in Omaha without booking the flight. Um, so big fan, again, that is the year, you know, Buster Posey's Golden Spikes year, that that underdog fresno state team uh great great book great to reminisce on that that 2008 college world series and with both of these books if you're a baseball fan if you're a ba reader you'll like these books again echoing jj's review of uh, welcome to the circus of baseball but we'll highly enjoy it i hope you enjoy this conversation with ryan because it was a a real treat for me to have him on the show uh episodes are from feed on the farm drop every other tuesday if you enjoy this one subscribe wherever you get your podcast go check out past interviews and uh tell a friend about the show also, make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. The minor leagues are going, the big leagues are going, which means BA has the prospect hot sheet, uh, college baseball coverage, college is in the thick of conference play, So be tuning in every week, checking out the projected field of 64 for, you know, to get to this year's College World Series. A lot of good stuff at BA as always. Very good time to be a subscriber. And with that, let's talk to Ryan McGee. All right, joining me today on From Phenom to the Farm, he's a senior writer at ESPN, co-host of Marty and McGee, and author of the new book, Welcome to the Circus of Baseball, a story of the perfect summer at the perfect ballpark at the perfect time. It is Ryan McGee. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: No, it's great to be here. It's fun talking to uh, everyone about the book, but particularly someone like you that I know the minor leagues are near and dear to your heart. You're, You're my people, Kyle, so I'm glad to talk to you. Absolutely, and
0: movie references, which the book is full yeah. of. So this, this has been a very, yeah.
1: yeah. I even call, I even, I even called myself out at one point. Like, yeah, there might be too many movie references in this book. but That's cool.
0: No, lo- I mean love it. We've got a Roadhouse reference. Yeah. We've got some Batman. Re- it's it's been it's been great. I've I've like I told you, I've been loving the book. I interned in the minor leagues. This has been uh, just wonderful for me to experience. In general, what what made now the time to write about your first job out of college?
1: Well, um, I mean, honestly, they, they let me do it. You know, I've been pitching this book forever, and, and it, was, uh, it was one of those things where just a, a confluence of events. I was asked a question. I was very fortunate uh, to do a, a book with Del Hart Jr. a few years ago that did very well, not because of the the and author. It was because of Dell Jr., but I was given the opportunity then, like, what do you want to do next? And and I wanted to do a book with my father about his days uh, as a college football referee, which we wrote a couple of years ago, sidelines and bud lines. And then after that, the question was in that same vein. I go, I've always wanted to write these stories that you know. Bless, I always say, bless my wife's heart, these stories that I've made her listen to for 20 years, and all my friends have listened to for 20 plus years about my summer minor league baseball and. You know, I love minor league baseball so much. I've been to 129 parks. I have a list, I keep on my computer, and I update it every summer. I, I book my travel around minor league baseball. My family, when I was a kid in the Carolinas, you know, we just look at a map. All right, we, we've never been to a game in Burlington, we've never been to a game in Kinston, we've never been to a game in, you know, Hickory. Let's go. And so I love it so much. And uh there, there are some great books about the minor leagues out there, but they're focused on players. And, you know, guys trying to move up the ladder or moving down the ladder, it's all its all very Bull Durham, right? I mean, it's all based on the players. And to me, the cast of characters, when I saw Bull Durham in the theater a long time ago, because I'm old, um, the characters that fascinated me were Millie, right? And, you know, and the, the, the old guy that did, the, the terrible radio play-by-play guy and his analysts that never talked, did sound effects. Who were those people? And so when I had a chance to work with those people and they were real. I mean, we had our own cast of characters. Every ballpark has it. You know, everybody who's ever worked in the minor leagues knows a cast of characters like this. So, you know, it was me hopefully passionately pitching that, what I just said to you. And when I threw out a couple of who these characters were and some of the stories about that summer, uh, thankfully my, my friends at Double A said, let's give it a shot.
0: And I've got I've got questions about some of the characters. I don't wanna I I want everyone to read this and experience yeah. this book for themselves. So we don't we don't wanna spoil a lot of it, but I do have some questions. But just you mentioned that and it's it's early in the in the prologue of the book. You're talking about um, or j- just in one of the the early chapters, you're talking about that you you and your family went to a lot of minor league games. Now you grew up. The, the Carolinas are are mecca for minor league baseball. Like it is a. I talk to my wife all the time. We should just do a North Carolina minor league road trip. Where I live in Texas, it's much harder. You got you know my home city, and then everywhere else, you drive multiple hours to get to a ballpark.
1: But state's, state's too big. Y'all got a lot of teams. Too big. in Texas. State's too big, you know. They're so spread out. But I've been to most of them. But man, you got to really want to. You can't get from one to the other.
0: I would have to fly reasonably. I would probably fly to Amarillo and El Paso yeah. from where I live if I want to go to those ballparks. But with you growing, I mean, you are a a big fan of the game of baseball. You've written about the minor leagues. You've now you've written about college, which we're going to talk about with this episode. How much did big league baseball, the the thirty you know the thirty two teams influence you as a child versus just being, having proximity to professional baseball versus the minor leagues? Cause it's one thing with contraction, which is MLB has done is going to sure as hell try to do more of yep. how much of having that regional access to professional baseball influence you to become a lifelong baseball fan and supporter of the game.
1: It's the only access we had, you know, um, you know, I I I, prom- I grew up all over North Carolina. If you ever listen to Marty McGee, I refer to hometowns one, two, three, four, five. We basically moved every, you know, four or five years, but I primarily grew up in the triangle, you know, in Raleigh. And, you know, we had the Durham Bulls about 20 minutes away from where we lived in, in North, you know, Northwest Raleigh. Um, the Carolina Mudcats moved to town at, at some point in Zebulon, you know, in the outskirts, they had to stay so far away from Durham. Um, but if you wanted to go see, the Braves, which were the closest Major League team, that's an overnight trip. You know, you're 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 driving all day and going to a game and spending the night. There's no coming back. And you know, if you're going the next closest team is probably the Orioles. The same thing. I mean, you're driving, you know, the length of Virginia and and, and going to north of D.C. and going to a game. You're spending the night and you're probably flying there. And so we were in a baseball house. I grew up a Red Sox fan, and the only reason I was a Red Sox fan was because my first T-ball team when I was five years old, we all got in a single file line at the Shelby you know, City Park, and they pulled hats out of a box, and I got a red hat with a blue B. I I could have very easily been a Mariners fan or a Padres fan. It just was the, the hat that came out of the box. My dad was a Yankees fan because everyone his age, they were Yankee fans, and my brother became an Orioles fan, uh, I think just because my, bro- my dad and I loved the Yankees and the Red Sox. And so we loved Major League Baseball, and for you kids out there, This is kind of the dawn of cable. You know, I'm talking about the early to mid-1980s. And, you know, the Braves were on TV all the time. Uh, The Cubs were on TV all the time. That was it. You know, you you had Monday night baseball. Uh, ESPN hadn't started doing the Sunday night game of the week yet. Uh, You had a Saturday afternoon game maybe on NBC. And that was kind of it. And so if you wanted to see professional baseball, even if it was at a high school stadium in Shelby, North Carolina, you know, living in Raleigh, we were a couple hours away from more than a dozen teams and we could get there. And, and so again, it kind of became collected. There's a book that had a huge influence on me. It was a book by a guy named Bob Wood that was written in the mid eighties. And it was called Dodger dogs to Fenway Franks. And Bob was a, was a middle school teacher uh, living in, I think it was in, in, in Washington state and picked one summer and spent the whole summer driving around the country and went to every major league ballpark. And, and in this book, it was this travel log, and it sounded amazing. You know, he's in like a Toyota Tercel, and he's got a, a Bob Seger Springsteen mixtape. And, you know, he's parking in KOA campgrounds, and he's going to Major League Games, and he would do report cards of the concessions and the parking and the scoreboard and, you know, what the seats were like. I loved that. And so my family would do that. We had no access to Major League Games. We would do that for minor league parks and we would drive all the way down to Wilmington, North Carolina to see the port city roosters. And on the way back to Raleigh all night, we're grading out. All right. How was the hot dog? What kind of music did they play? Was the ballpark any good? And so that's that was a lifelong addiction that started as a kid. And it continues to this day.
0: I had a lot of those same similar feelings when I was growing up. And when I got into college, I had zero career plans. had no idea what I wanted to do. So but yeah. I thought working in baseball would be cool. And like you, I, I interned. I interned only part-time because I was I was I was playing at the time in, in college, but I'd interned for Midland, interned for Salem in the Carolina League, uh for, for a summer each. When you were going into the decision of I wanna I wanna work in baseball, you graduate from Tennessee, you're down to the winter meetings, you're you know, look, looking for that job, and the, the intern job at Asheville comes up and you how much did you know about job duties what you were getting into working in baseball
1: before you you got boots on the ground i knew nothing um you know i went down there wanting to be a radio play by play guy so I went to the winter meetings in Atlanta. Uh, You know, I had all my, my resumes. I had all my cassette tapes. The cassette tape the cassette tape, right. Remember I still- was
0: like, man, that's a throwback.
1: Yeah. Well, here in my office where I'm sitting, I still have a couple over here. It's got my name and my old phone number and landline phone number of my parents' house written on it. And I had done a little bit of high school football in Marshville, North Carolina, Forest Hills High School, hometown of Randy Travis, country music's finest. Is what the sign says as you, as you pull into town. I did a little bit of uh, of color commentary uh, for some small college football, and uh, and I went to games when I would sit up in the stands by myself and talking to a tape recorder and try to do reps, and that was suggested to me, you know, when I was in college by a couple of people. I took those cassette tapes and uh, went to the winter meetings and thought I was going to land, you know, I was going to be the, I was going to be the play by play voice of the Visalia Oaks, right, or, or the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, whatever. Nobody wanted a guy with this accent in the nineties to be their, their baseball play by play guy. And so I, I had one maybe possibly job offer um, that was attached to radio, but paid no money. And it was in Connecticut. And then I had a, a solid job offer from the Asheville tourist. And it was the only real offer I had. And It was a hundred dollars a week, an internship. You're going to work in the front office. That was it. You know, and they would put these manila envelopes on these bulletin boards and you would drop your resume in them. And, and they would have a job description and a pay scale and the pay scale for everything was a hundred dollars a week, everywhere, no matter what the job was sales. If you're a sales guy you're making a hundred dollars a week plus commission, you know, it, it was a hundred dollars a week internship in the front office. And it just said various duties. I think that's all it said. And I loved McCormick field.
0: Various is used. Yeah. Various, uh, it was every, every duty.
1: Right. <laughs> but I, I love McCormick field. Um, well, that was one of the places my family had gone to. We went to the old, McCormick Field before they tore it down. After the 91 season, we went to the new McCormick Field the following year. When I was commuting from the Carolinas to Knoxville for college, I used to stop in and go to tourist games all the time because I'd drive through Asheville. So I love the ballpark. I love the history. I love Asheville. Asheville's always been cool. It's super cool now, but back then it was still cool. And so I just took the gig, man. It's the only offer I had. So I took it And uh, and literally by the end of the first day, I was like, and I write it in the book. We're like, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're, we're doing, we're doing everything, and and they made us. It was like it was like Paris Island boot camp of minor league baseball. The very first day on the job, and I realized um, it was the hardest I was probably ever going to work. The, the never going least amount of money I was ever going to make. But uh, looking back, it was the most fun I ever had.
0: And the money per hour too, because it's oh,
1: long days, math. and it's
0: all dependent on the game too.
1: You can't do the math if you do the mm-hmm. math. Then, my dad always said this about his college football officiating career you know for years and years and years working small college games even when he first broke into the ACC in the 1980s they'd make a couple hundred bucks a game and if you put in all the study and the 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 physical work and the workouts and the you know the meetings and all that you, you can't do the math if you do the math then you're going to be you know you're going to be calling the labor department you just want to just do your job and you know get on with it I, I, we were lucky to make a hundred a week because you know uh, the The internships I had in broadcasting paid zero dollars, so to me a hundred bucks a week man that was that was a bonus
0: and we talk about the jobs, the duties and it, you're minor league i mean you're doing on field games yep. um you know st- stuff that there's there's some skin in the game like if you mess up, people are gonna see you or yep. it's it's consequential to business you talk in the book about the ticket tearing the the stubs and having to make sure the right one that just stressed me out. Yeah. reading it because i am absolutely the type of person to be like oh i've
1: put the wrong part of the, the ticket in 20 straight times we're in trouble here well it just um, <laughs> everything felt like an audition you know every single day and then and then when i went on to work at espn you know right out right after this job every day felt like you know my like my wife's an actress and she's constantly auditioning for for tv parts and for stage parts and and i don't see how you do it and, and but every single day felt like that. Like you're, you're, you're exactly right. It was on you if it didn't work out. And, you know, in the book, uh, again, go back to my wife, bless her heart. I never throw anything away, which was great for the book, but bad if you're, you know, if you're, if you're living with the guy, but I have the sheet they gave us on the first day that said, all right, there's basically three internship jobs you'll rotate out of is the front office. There's the ticket office. And then there's the, um, uh, then there's concessions.
0: I was and, amazed yeah. in the, the picture section of the book having that oh. sheet cuz that I mean cuz that you you get to the ballpark that day and there's your you know there's, there's your there it is. this is what
1: you got to do. But at the but you saw that everybody's got different duties for each job and there's different columns but at the bottom of every position whether you were the assistant general manager or the general manager or an intern in bold print all caps tarp so if there of was course. any rain anywhere near anything, um, all it was all hands on deck. No matter what you were wearing or what you were doing, you dropped it and you went and grabbed grabbed a loop and pulled the tarp.
0: We had when I was in Salem, it was like '90s. 90s. I don't know. It was some. I can't remember what the theme was, but I didn't have anything for it. I ended up wearing like I was wearing United America flag pants. Like of course you were. Rex Quandt, Dove. Yeah, yeah of we
1: course. love America,
0: right? And yeah. it's and. It it starts pissing in like yeah. the second inning. It's one oh, of yeah. those games that you know is going to get banged before the fifth, but they're still trying to trying to squeeze yes. out as much beer sale as possible. Yeah, and I'm out there pulling tarp in these America pants that are soaked and stuck to my legs. Yep. And I mean there is nothing there is nothing worse than a tarp pull.
1: Just no, there's really, nothing. Really and, nothing. And I, and I write it in the book. And, and again, yeah, and, and I've told you this. And and the tarp pull is the perfect example. I felt a huge amount of responsibility with the book, as fun as it was, because I want to do right by the people. I, I did it for one summer, and I want to do right by the people who my friends that that have worked in baseball their entire life and, and pulled the tarp their entire adult life. You know, the Asheville tourists. There was an intern two years later named Larry Hawkins. Larry never left. He's been there since '96. He was an intern, and he's been the general manager. You know, now for years, and I want to do right by those people. And the tarp pull is a perfect example. You know, I had two near death experiences with the tarp. You know, the mistake number one is once the tarp starts moving, it's moving, there's no stopping it. This is an unstoppable force, and your whole goal is to get momentum with probably not enough people. And once that tarp starts moving and the rain is starting to pick up, and that tarp's getting heavier and heavier, you're just trying to get it to where it covers the infield and then get out of the way Well, you can't slip and fall down. And I slipped and fell down or somewhere around the pitcher's mound. And it was like watching the roof close. And all I could think was I could hear the rain hitting that tarp above me as I'm laying on the, I'm I'm starting to scramble on all fours trying to get back to daylight. Cause once that tarp drops, all I could think was, it get, you know this, it gets so heavy when it's covered with rainwater. I'm like, mm. I'm going to die. Like they're going to come yeah. out here tomorrow morning and pull the tarp off the field and then get them pull my skeleton out of the ball. There's
0: going to be you and the raccoon
1: yeah. that's been there for Exactly. The weeks. Yeah. And, and then me, uh, and then the other part was, um, the other sin was if the wind gets under the tarp, um, which it did for us, I mean, you know, summertime in the mountains, ballparks literally carved inside of a mountain, the wind ricocheted off the mountain as we were coming across the field and back then I weighed a buck 25 tops and the wind got underneath that tarp. And I took off. I always tell her you, if you've ever ridden soaring at Disney world where your feet are dangling and you're flying over the Eiffel tower, that's what it felt like. And in my mind, I was 45 feet up in the air. The reality was, you know, it was about six feet, deep. but folks, your feet are moving and, and they're not touching. It's like when you hold your dog over the bathtub and they start moving their legs, even though they know they're not going to be touching anything. That's exactly how I felt. And I crashed to the ground. So Rule number one, don't fall down. Rule number two, uh, let go of the loop before you, uh, before you go full Superman. Yeah. You learn those tricks of the trade over the summer. But everybody in minor league baseball has tarp nightmares Oh, and they have tarp stories like that. And so that's the example of, I want to make sure that I tell my stories in a way that, that fairly represents them. And, And the cool thing is on social, I'm not, social media, you know, is a love hate thing for everyone, but, it's been awesome. All the people coming back with, oh man! One time the tarp did this. One, th- the Tennessee Smokies sent me a video of they called it Tarp Nami, happened about ten years ago. It's the greatest video I've ever seen. My, I've made my wife watch it fourteen times on on YouTube. But it's it's the example of. I mean, everybody has a story about uh, when they almost died from the tarp, and and I have two.
0: Oh, hundred percent. Um, you, you mentioned this. There's like this fraternity of people who worked these entry level jobs at minor league baseball, and like I know for me and both of my, both of my stops, I think almost everyone who was on the kind of the entry level to up to the full-timers like, you know, at Salem, like our full-time NC and stuff. Most of those people have moved on from baseball and are doing something else because those jobs that you're really looking at, you know, GM, you want to be up in the front office. Those are few and far between when you get a good one. A lot of the times those people don't leave. Um, It is a tough industry to make it in. But what, what about that summer? What did you take from that job that has helped you have future success? Because I think like I, I think it's such a tough job. I feel like it's just such an important character building job, which sounds corny, but there is something about it that you don't get out of j- just working something else at, at an hourly wage. I think and like we said before we started talking like we're still we're on group text with people we work with for this yeah. job for this minimum wage job for one summer.
1: Yeah, it is. It's like boot camp, right, or, or freshman year of college. You know, you, you're still in touch with the people probably that you went through those things with. And so that's, that's how it feels. And to me, it has always helped me as a sports writer and as a reporter because I feel like I kind of understand how stadium ops works and I understand how logistics work. And I understand that, you know, if the, if the Pepsi machine isn't working great in the press box, all right, sports writer guy, shut the hell up. Because what's happening now is this kid is trying to give you non foamy soda, right? Or is trying to heat up the hot dogs in, in for your free press box meal. I've been there. I kind of know. And, and I laugh because when I go to the Jerry Dome or Mercedes Benz Stadium or some brand new major league ballpark, you know, working, um, I still feel a kinship to the stadium ops people. And the concessions people, and the logistics people, and the security people, um, you although what they're, they're working on a completely different planet and a completely different level and in a billion dollar stadium. I was working in a three million dollar stadium thirty years ago, but I kind of, I, I at least know what they do, right? And and, and I kind of get it, and and so I, I, it helps me cover sports because you understand logistics. I I left ESPN for a few years and went to work for NASCAR. Went to work for. Uh, you know, the sanctioned body for the league. And I always say it was not my favorite job. I'll be the first one to admit that. Everyone at work when we knew that. But it helped me cover the sport when I went back to covering the sport because I kind of understood, you know, I might not agree with what they're doing, but I understand why they're doing the things they do. And so to me, that's it. I mean, it's character building and uh, and, and the stories are amazing, but it's also an understanding of, you know, there's the teams on the field. There are the fans in the stands there are the people who are covering and commenting on the event. But, but if it wasn't for the people in the the ballpark or in the stadium, none of it happens, none of it. And I think we kind of take a lot of those people for granted as sports fans.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned team on the field. And the funny thing about working, doing this job is a lot of the times you're, you're not getting to see a lot of the game. You're busy running around sweating bullets, trying to, you know, trying to get the, the sing for your supper contest going. And and not watching yeah. the game, but I was yeah. I was looking, you know, I went and looked at the, the ninety-four Sally League. Some some names rolled through. Yeah. Uh, you know, Roland, Maglio, Twins legend, Shannon Stewart, Richie Sexton. Yep. Um what was there, you know, we're gonna talk about the the concept of the pick here and when we talk the College World series, but yeah. was there was there a guy that you were able to and you know even you know, baseball America around back then they had their had the tabs on some of these guys. Was there a guy you were able to kind of step back and take a look at and 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 take in, you know, the, the beauty of minor league baseball is seeing
1: these guys before their stars. Well Roland came with all the pub, right? And Sexton did, but Jermaine Dye was at the salad League All Star game that year. And he was unheralded. Like you and I remember I remember seeing him play uh, and and it was, he was good. I mean, you could just tell, and he was obviously several years away from being such a mainstay with the Braves as long as he was. But I, he's the one that I remember because just, just watching him in batting practice. And again, depending on what your, your job duty was that we're rotating in and out of, if you're doing concessions, you see none of the game, none of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you're and the way McCormick Field is structured, the ballpark, the field itself kind of sits up on the hill and you go downstairs uh, into this concourse that's lower than field level. And it's like a food court area kind of behind the ballpark. And so you see nothing, you know, when they, when they re they're going to redo the ballpark in the next few years. And when they do, there's going to be a 360 degree concourse and you can get a hot dog and watch the game. But right now it's kind of two separate, you know, ballparks. And so you're right. You didn't get to see much at all, but I remember die a lot. I mean, at the, at the all-star game, there was a lot of buzz about him. Um, our team was not great. You know, we, we, uh, people ask me all the time about the 94 tourists. We had four guys that made it to the big leagues for a minute. Uh, John Thompson, uh, was the only one that got anything close to a ring. You know, he he was a, a solid middle, solid mid starter for the Braves, you know, won a couple divisions. Jamie Wright was our nuclear loose. Jamie was, um, he was a first round draft pick. You know, the Colorado Rockies were brand new. We were an affiliate of the Rockies, and he uh, and
0: Jared Wright are brothers, right? Uh, no brave Jared Wright, they're not related.
1: No, they were re- okay. I think they're, a bit, they're related some way, but they're not brothers. Not, I don't think so. You're gonna make me, yeah, you're making me do my homework now. I, but I might no, have but,
0: to, I might have to Google. I think I always just loop them in together,
1: but, Jay, but well, and that happens a lot. And it's funny with Jamie, too, because I was doing an interview not too long ago and I said something about what Jamie Wright was probably, you know, the most famous player on that team. And the reaction was, um, well, gosh, he won a couple of rings and this and that. No, he didn't at all. And, um, he, he, you know, the group, group in Oklahoma City was a first-round draft pick, had, had a had a six-digit signing bonus. Um, he was our bonus baby. Um, and he was, like, one of the few But – I'm looking at it right now. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. He pitched for more than ten teams over the course of almost 20 years and almost was never uh, – you know, he had to go to spring training and earn his spot. He just, you know, he he would sign a free agent deal and show up and do it. And he's a great guy, but struggled mentally, um, you know, with how to do it. But pitching in the big leagues for a long time. And the, the other one was Edgar Velasquez. And Edgar was one of our, what, about half a dozen guys from the islands that spoke no English. Uh, officially, I think Edgar was listed as 18 or 19. There's no way that he was. But I remember he wallpapered his locker uh the first night with pictures of roberto Clemente, and that's not surprising he was from puerto rico but about halfway through the season jack LeMay was our pitching coach and jack pitched in the big leagues for a long time was on the the 67 uh cardinals team to beat the red sox in the world series famously lost game six uh as a reliever and bob gibson says don't worry about it i won game seven my wife needs a new car anyway and New car for winning the MVP. The next night, Bob Gibson, you know, won his third game, beat Jim Lombard. Anyway, Jack LaMaze goes, you know, that's Roberto Clemente's nephew I'm talking about Edgar Velasquez, and his name was actually Edgar Clemente, but he changed his name because he didn't want special treatment. I will say this: a couple of years later, he changed it back to uh, Edgar Clemente, and he got called up to the Rockies like almost immediately. So he probably should. <laughs> he probably should have <laughs> kept it with his name. But we had no stars. You know, uh, there were no stars on that team. Um, and uh, and to me, that's part of what makes that team special. Because uh, you know, if we'd had two or three guys that became, you know, uh, went to Cooperstown, um, I don't know, maybe I maybe I'd pay more attention to the team.
0: Yeah, and then well, and then there's also more of the. Uh, I, I think there's awareness too when that is the case that there's a lot of you know, hey, we're the 20 guys playing, so these these couple can play. And yeah. I think with the, with a team with less stars, there's less of that. So I want there's an. You have done an incredible job with the book in relaying this cast of characters that you encounter over the course of the summer. And I want everyone to experience that on their own reading this book. But it's in the prologue, so we we I I have to ask about Captain Dynamite.
1: Oh yeah, no, and, and this this excerpt is, is on the internet. I put it on a Twitter account. We read, okay, good, somebody, good. So so it's so it's out there. Captain Dynamite is quite frankly, you know, you know, cause you're a writer, you, you that got the books all. you know, when I told the story, of Captain Dynamite double days, like we're in. So Captain Dynamite has got named Patrick O'Brien. Um, if you look up Captain Dynamite on YouTube, there's actually a couple of local news stories where you can see Captain Dynamite in action, but, but Captain Dynamite at this point was in his early seventies, looked like he's about 145 years old, uh, rolled up in a station wagon um, and, and, Uh, he had, he started unloading gear and we helped him carry the stuff out. And he had his exploding coffin of death. And what captain dynamite would do is he would build this coffin and I'm putting in air quotes, the the coffin he used with us was like this foam board box that was painted black, but you could still kind of see the 3M insulation logo, you know, through the black paint. And so we, he puts this box out behind second base with the help of his wife, and what I assumed were his grandkids, but I think might've actually been his kids. There's like a half a dozen of them running around and they build this box and they pack it full of dynamite, like Wile Coyote, like red sticks of dynamite, like TNT on the side of it, the whole thing. And they even have like the T handle detonator, like Wile Coyote used to use to blow up bridges and stuff like you see in the old movies. And so they connect these wires and normally he would do this after games. Um, because it makes a mess. He did it prior to the game this day because we knew rain was coming. And we wanted to get this in. It was a Sunday afternoon, like 1 o'clock game. So the captain lays down in this coffin, uh, the coffin of death, behind the same second base where Craig Biggio and Jackie Robinson played. And we all got down in the dugout. And it's like a bunker. And I mentioned John Thompson to pitch for the Braves. The countdown starts from the PA announcers. Ten, nine. And as the countdown starts... Uh, a player with the tour starts tapping on shoulders and starts handing out batting helmets. And it was John Thompson. And he goes, y'all put these helmets on because some damn body parts are going to come flying into this <laughs> dugout. When you, when this guy blows himself up, got to, got to five, four, three, two, one. And it was, it's impossible. And listen, I, I've covered motorsports my entire adult life. It's the loudest thing I've ever heard. It was so <laughs> concussive. Like everyone reached up, you cover your ears and your eyes and like crap was falling out of the stands into the dugout and the whole thing. well, when your eyes come to there's a literal mushroom cloud like rolling up from behind second base, a big white mushroom cloud and crap is flying everywhere. All, all this plastic and foam and all that stuff. And it's all raining to the ground. Smoke clears up and captain dynamite in his cover, all green jumpsuit with his name sewn into the back and an old uh, motorcycle helmet. He's just laying there like not moving behind second base, like face down in, in the dirt. And that's when the very first sentence in the book, somebody yelled from the dugout, I think that some bitch is actually dead. And so we're all like, and so we pause and the family goes running out there. And I don't know if the woman slapped him or gave him a shot of adrenaline or stuck smelling sauce under his nose, but he kind of snapped too. And they helped him to his feet and the crowd started cheering. So now we got to clean up, right? We go run out onto the field. The team's waiting to play. And we start picking up foam and picking up all this stuff. And as I passed Captain Dynamite, he was leaving the field with his arms draped around his his wife's shoulders, had blood running down from one of his ears. And I yell, I get, I said, "Good job!" And he kind of looked at me and kind of shrugged his shoulders. And she says to him, and she looks at him, she goes, "He said good job." <laughs> and that's when I realized Captain Dynamite could not hear. And he looked at me. I realized one of his eyes was glass. He gave me a thumbs up. I realized he's missing fingers. I and mean, you know, but that was his retirement year. Uh, he, we didn't know it at the time. We paid him 500 bucks cash. He left, you know, game starts. And um, that was his retirement year. And he was being replaced by his choice by a woman named Lady Dynamite. And Lady Dynamite was based down in Florida. And keep in mind now, y'all, this is the early nineties. Uh, Lady Dynamite had a, um, like a, like an evil Knievel, uh, one piece swimsuit kind of a thing that was, you know, I I write in the book, thong anchored is what I call it. It's Marty (laughs) Smith's favorite line in the book, had a cape and the whole thing, a big old head of nineties hair. And she did it for years. So she can't hear either. So yeah. Captain dynamite, you can't make it up, man. And it's, and you know, this the best part. You got the cast of characters that work at the ballpark. I say, you know, there's a, there's a poster from the Simpsons that have all these characters that are on the show. That's what the ballpark is like. Every ballpark's got to cast characters like that. And then you have the kind of – the visitors, right? You have the the visiting entertainers, Elvis himself and Billy Bird and Bird Zerk and uh, Myron Noodleman, you know, was kind of this Revenge of the Nerds guy that toured for 30 years. Uh, Max Patkin. I mean, you know, you can't – you can't make it up. That's why the Miners are the best. It, the best.
0: The best. And the book does an incredible job of bringing that all to life. So everyone – Everyone go buy it. Uh, there will be links in the show notes for it. I do want to touch on before you know before before I let you get out of here. One of my favorite books coming up on the 15 year anniversary of this College World Series is the Road to Omaha. And you wrote about the the 2008 College World Series, which notable for a couple of reasons. One, it's the only one I've ever been to, so that I mean that's what everyone knows. That's big, yeah. That's it. That's, yeah, that's, of, it. that's how we all ever been yep. to. And then Fresno State is a four seed coming yeah. in and knocking off I just with looking back at it today, six of the eight teams are national seeds, which yep. all, rarely ever happens now. Yep. Yep. And then Stanford also hosted a regional. So you right. have seven regional hosts and four seed Fresno state. Yep. How did this book come about? Is it because of the Fresno state story? Was it predetermined? I've, I've always kind of wondered because you have this great scope of the college world series.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you remembering the book. I always jokingly refer to it as, you know, I've written a New York times bestseller and I always say road Omaha was my New York times worst seller. but that, <laughs> that, but that's also the kind of the little book that could, you know, every June when the college world series rolls around, um, you know, the the copies of that book would come to the, to the office at ESPN for me to sign. And you know, I get a little notice from audible that people are downloading, you know, the, the audio version of the book and, and with that much like, welcome to the circus of baseball is a love letter to minor league baseball. The road to Omaha is a love letter to Rosenblatt stadium. And that's where it came from. You know, I, again, growing up in the Carolinas and in the triangle in particular, you know, we would go to games, baseball games at NC state at, at in Chapel Hill at Duke down at Wake forest. My, my father played college baseball at East Carolina. So we'd go down to Greenville. And so college baseball um in minor league baseball were the two, versions of baseball that I watched and caught co- watching the college world series on ESPN, um, watching Pete and Cavilla, and watching, you know, the grand delusion play with Miami and, and watching Skip Burtman's LSU teams and Ben McDonald and all these, you know, you, you, those, those were, uh, in our house, we watched every game and we love the college world series. And in my, I got to go to on a father's day weekend, I got to go with my dad finally to the college world series. And like, I think my first one was 2001. And loved Rosenblatt Stadium. It was Rosenblatt Stadium was everything I wanted it to be and more. It was just still one of my favorite places on earth. Was that ballpark? It was perfect. And yeah, and, and and I went back a couple more times with my father, and it was becoming very obvious the ballpark was going to be closing soon. They were going to build a new ballpark. Quite honestly, kind of like McCormick Field, it was time to do something new. Rosenblatt was great until it rained, and then you realized there was nowhere to go and nowhere to hide, and everybody got wet. Um, uh, but. But I—that was the pitch. The pitch was, we have to write this book now because Rosenblatt Stadium is going to go away, and and I got the green light from St. Martin's Press. Uh, I found an agent who believed in it, and I just went out there and I told ESPN, "Listen, I'm going to be there. If you want me to cover this thing for ESPN.com, I'll do it. But I'm going to work on this book." And you know, I, I went, I went and dove back into. Feinstein books and and you know b- these behind the scenes books that also told the history of the event and um and you know caught lightning in the bottle with Fresno and you think about it I mean Buster Posey was there with Florida State uh, that Miami team was a machine we had LSU there you know Georgia was another Cinderella team that should have won that College World Series by the way mm-hmm. and um you know they Beck- they
0: seemed like Thanos oh. in that College World Series they blew it
1: and, and they know mm-hmm. it and Dave Perno who was the head coach you know. um um, unbelievably that fall sat with me and we watched uh game two when they when they should have won the world series and lost it but that fresno team was lightning in the bottle man and it was um um you know gordon beckham been hitting home runs all year for georgia and somehow fresno with a bunch of guys we would never heard of won that thing and it's one of the greatest stories in college sports but certainly in college baseball and uh and yeah it was it was an opportunity to do that and it was again a love letter and 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 then that very year, um, the official announcement was made. When I when I got there to cover that College World Series for the book, you know the first artist renderings were on the wall for what the new ballpark would look like downtown, and they had had a ribbon cutting ceremony and, and the whole thing. And I caught the city at a very divided time. You know, the locals didn't want a new ballpark, um, and uh, they Mayor Fahey is really the guy that saved the College World Series, but became pariah because the city blamed him for losing rosenblatt um but it's a love letter to that ballpark is what it is and when i go back there now i, I go back every year for uspn.com and uh, every year i have a different co-worker who's never been there before and i give them the ryan mcgee this is where rosenblatt stadium used to be historical tour and um so if you come out there uh and i'm out there let me know and i will i'll put you in a rental car we'll go take a ride up the hill
0: i mean it's it's such a fun book I love revisiting it because it is a, it is a throwback to that time and it is such a cool college world series yeah. um you, when you're if you, so you're going in with the idea of right you, you're gonna write this book yeah. and you've got these these powerhouses and this four seed as you're going in, did you have kind of a a hope of how you thought things or how you wanted things to to turn out? Was there – did you have a dream matchup at the end? Did you want the – you know, need the underdog in? But, I mean, there's so many – you mentioned in the book, uh, you know, Mike Martin and Jim Morris don't like each other. Right. A great chapter on the prestige. I mean, Posey was a special prospect, a special amateur.
1: To to this day, I've never seen anyone in batting practice like that. The the only – the closest I've seen to that was I saw Bryce Harper when he was a rookie with the Nationals. Uh, I knew Drew Storm a little bit, who was a relief pitcher for the Nationals. He's like, dude, you have to go watch Harper hit right now. And But Buster Posey, I've still never seen anything like that, that batting practice the exhibition he put on at Rosenblatt. And
0: and in there, Alonzo was a first-round pick. Yep. Beckham's a first-round pick. Ackley goes 1-2 the next year. But yep. it, it's so it's so interesting how focused everything was on, on Posey and, and what he was and who he was. I think the character helps, too.
1: Yeah, you know, well, there's always a guy, you know, and, and back then – you know, the draft took place. Um, you know, Ben, Ben McDonald has become a great friend and is a coworker to ESPN, and we, we, he and I worked the college world series, um, every year. And, um, and, and Ben was kind of that original guy, you know, the draft used to happen on top of the college world series, you know, Scott Rowland tells a story about, um, uh, he was walking, um, to his first at bat and they called him back to the dugout. Hey dude, you just were just drafted. And, so it's, it's, it's crazy. Kyle Peterson, you know, the voice, the, you know, the voice of the, the Kirk Herbstreit of college baseball mm-hmm. KP always tells a story about, he was from Omaha and he was helped shagging flies, getting ready for a game. And they caught him into the dugout and go, Hey man, you just got drafted by the Brewers. And so the draft would happen. And, and so there was always a guy going in still is where all the focus is on, you know, this guy is going to be the next great superstar. Cause you think about, you know, I mean, gosh, the, Barry Bonds and you know, I mean, all those players from USC back in the day, and it's just you know, it's it's just player Barry Larkin, player after player after player after player, after player that we saw. Robin Ventura, who went on to these great major league careers, but there's always one that's kind of earmarked as that's the guy you got to talk to, and that's the guy you got to get, and um, and that's exactly uh, that's exactly who Buster Posey was. But yeah, so it's interesting with those things because you I, I asked about the matchup. Quite frankly, for book sales, uh, it would have been a lot better for me you know, had Texas and Miami played in the finals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but as it turns out, you know, a Fresno, Georgia final, Georgia's not exactly a baseball powerhouse. Um, though they did they, they did win one, it should have won another one. Um, and Fresno was Fresno, but but storytelling wise, Fresno was the perfect story. And mm-hmm. and quite frankly, too, I had access to Fresno uh that I didn't have with some teams because they I don't think they expected to be there for very long. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of go in thinking, all right, this is probably what we're going to get. Man, if we'd had a Miami Florida State final, oh, um, no. now I can now I can write about you know wide right and two coaches don't like each other and and all that stuff. It, it would have been you know Alonzo and and um, um, you know Buster. It would have been amazing. But um, but I'm not going to complain about the the amazing storyline we got. And again, you know the book is about that series and how college baseball works. But it's also I love Omaha so much. I love the city. Uh, I love Rosenblatt Stadium. Obviously, um, you know, again, like, like, welcome to the circus of baseball. It's a love letter to what what is my favorite event to cover, which is College World Series. Mm-hmm.
0: There's two things I want to I want to ask you about. One is is unique to college sports, some, and then one is specifically unique to the College World Series. Is with college sports and especially like Omaha, you're covering losing team. You're covering sad kids versus grown yep. professionals say in, a, in yep. a major league base in a major league baseball playoffs or something like that losing early in the college world series is a killer because yep. you're you're then you're riding uphill you're you're emptying out the the bullpen the something that I always sick is the the chapter about tony delmonico essentially yep. and that 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 tough florida state loss you're you know they're amateurs everything's so fleeting You, you know, you might not have a dog in the fight, but you don't want some kid to be the goat either in these, you know, in in situations like that. It's the last meaningful game a lot of these guys will ever play when they, when they lose the, when every press conference, you've got pictures in the book of, you know, Alonzo after his last game, the guy from LSU walking the field after their last game, How do you handle that with kid gloves when you're talking to these guys after the game when it's just – it's not that they've lost a baseball game. It's just a a chapter of their life has has closed that is – I've been there. It's devastating on any level.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate you making note of that because it's something that I preach to my coworkers all the time, which is, hey, keep in mind now, that's the last time that guy's ever going to do this. That's the last time that woman's ever going to play basketball. That's the last time that these athletes, when they're eliminated from these tournaments, particularly in a championship game, You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's there particularly I'm covering the college football playoff or I'm covering the college world series. There are athletes in those games that are going to go on to bigger things. Most of them are not like the overwhelming majority of them are not, you know, there's only one Bryce Young playing for Alabama. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guys on the Alabama football team. that are going to play in the NFL, but the reality is even as good as they are two thirds of them are not. They're done when their last college football game is over with. And so, It's something I've always been really sensitive to. And I tell you, it changes when you're a parent too. Um, you know, I've got an 18-year-old daughter, and I think about, you know, she may or may not have just done her last ever musical on stage. You know, you know, it's chapters that you close. And for for most of us um who weren't good enough to play at the next level or perform at the next level, whatever, you kind of know the end is coming. My last track meet was my last track meet. I knew it. I knew it at the time and it was sad or whatever but I had other things I was going to do. If your entire life has been geared toward you're going to play for the Yankees and now your baseball career is over um, or, or, you know, you were, you talk about LSU, um, Michael Hollander was this player that I write about in the book for LSU that year in 08. And all that kid wanted to do his entire life was play baseball for LSU. And he wanted to win a college world series for LSU and LSU was kind of coming out of a funk, you know, uh, a had just gotten a job and and, and they finally gotten back to the college world series. And in the cruelest stroke, the last out happens the eliminating out happens in a play with Mike Hollander on the field. And he was the captain of that team. He was the heart of that team. And I saw him the following year playing in minor league baseball. And he's like, dude, this isn't the same. Like he just, the wind was out of his sails. And so you're right it's it, the, the keywords meaningful What you said it's the last meaningful game mm-hmm. or the last meaningful at bat or the last meaningful trip to the mound for for all these guys and so i try to be really really sensitive to that and and when you're asking the questions you need to be so it's it's one thing if you're interviewing a guy that plays for the patriots mm-hmm. right or if you're interviewing a guy that plays for the astros fine you know they 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 they're professionals they know the deal but when you're dealing with a kid um you know then you need to remember that it's it's still a kid.
0: Yeah. I had uh we had Yonder on this podcast um a year ago, maybe two years ago, and he says that he didn't play in another game that had the same kind of intensity as yep. these games from Miami until he got to the MLB playoffs, which was a full yep. decade later when he, he yep. played in Cle played one series for the for the Guardians.
1: And when you knew his story, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, you, incredible, know the book, incredible story. you know, what his parents sacrificed in um you know, and, and, and coming to the country and did everything in the world in their power, just to make sure that he would have something better. That's why he was crying. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's why that, the, the, I took that picture that's in the book. That's why he's so upset. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, and he said it that day, he said, this isn't even so much about me not playing for Miami anymore. It's me coming up short and feeling like I haven't paid off, you know, this hard work that my parents have put in. And of course his parents didn't feel that way, but, but that's how you feel, you know, when you're a kid. But the big thing is, and I I say this all the time, it's it's different. And and NIL transfer portal, whatever it, it's still college. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, it's still college sports and it's, there's still kids. And, you know, I, again, I got a teenage daughter who's going to be leaving for school soon. and and, And this made me think about that even more, which is, you know, I don't, I don't know how you were. When I went off to college, man, I knew, I knew nothing. Oh, um I was we, we, clueless. We, we, we talking we, we talk about Jamie Wright not knowing how to cook. I didn't know how to cook. I do not know how to do laundry. I didn't know how to do anything. And I can't imagine, um, you know, especially now when all these freshmen are playing all the time, I can't imagine being on that stage in those situations. And then when your heart broken, is broken, you know, you got some – 50 something year old sports writer standing there tell, asking how you feel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the last thing I want to talk about, and this is both a, from a covering the college world series aspect. And just, if you want to go and be a fan chapter nine of the book is, is the grind and the college world series is unique to pretty much any other sporting event or championship series. Like your college football playoff—that's two games, you know, yep. built over the course of a couple weeks. Your March Madness—you know, it's two games here, week rest, two two games here, and then your you know your final four, two games. The College World Series is long. There's almost always weather in Omaha. That College World Series in particular—I remember, I think was a game North Carolina. There was a game where me and all my teammates who were there watching, we the rain hits, bunch of us run for cover. One guy runs under the tarp. They had, they had pulled over the tarp into the stands with a couple fans. And he yeah. I, that game went late because he was the only one who stayed. But it is a grind to, to cover, to play in it. And I, teams have to, it makes games weird. Teams have to dip into unsung heroes. When you're covering this, what is the endurance factor of like, I have to find a way to get a grasp on everything that's happening and get a read on these teams and feel like, who is, who is feeling inevitable, who is, who is able to weather these storms and you have to weather them yourself as a writer.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is you're just tired, man. It's just, you know, you're just exhausted. I, I'm a big fan of survivor, you know, the, the, the reality show. And I, I've, over the years, I've talked to several people that were on the show and they all say that you're so tired that you're just trying to – you don't even understand when Jeff's saying, all right, we're going to do this in this game, and you got to do this, that you don't even understand what the hell he's saying. You just do it and whatever. That's kind of where you get when you've been there for the grind. So back then I would stay for the whole two weeks. And people who will complain to me about why is ESPN wanting to compress the College World Series, and and, and I have no problem with the pitch clock, and it's coming to college baseball, which I think is great Mm – um, and it'll help with the transition going forward. Games are too long. You know, that's part of the problem, too, is is that you play two games in one day in Omaha, and they each last four and a half hours mm-hmm. because, you know, because they're overmanaged. They are. You know, I, I I love college baseball, but calling every pitcher in the dugout is insanity. It drives and, crazy. And, and, the, and the pro coaches would rather the guys have called their – the pitchers would rather call their own pitches. But anyway, all that being said, yeah, you're just exhausted. And back in the day, I would be there for the whole two weeks. Now I'm the jerk. Now I'm the guy that, you know, the people who cover college baseball full-time, the legends, you know, they've are they all been in the press box for a week, and I come parachuting in usually for essentially the semifinals. I usually come in when there's, you know, four teams left and for the championship series, and I'm the guy like, hey, boys, let's go out, right? Let's go to the drover, and they're like, it's all middle fingers as far as I can see because, you know, I used to be right there with them, and now I'm the guy that comes parachuting in, you know, like I've been drinking Red Bulls, and I'm ready to go, but it's, but it's hard, you know, it's, it's, um, and it's just a very, very different, you're kind of in the bunker, you know, I've never been a beat writer. So I've never, you know, a, a baseball beat writer that's on the road with the team all the time and, and and they're just grinding, grinding, grinding all the time. Or, or even if you're covering an NFL team and you got to crank out content every single day, you know, when I cover college football, I certainly experience a little bit of that, but there are a few, at least a few days off in Omaha, you know, there are no days off. And I can tell you kind of to your point about, when I was writing the book you want the best matchup and you would love for the championship series to go to three games every year because it'd be a great story but no one in the press box is heart as broken uh when it didn't bother anyone in the press box last year that Ole Miss won it in two games and we got that third day off because everybody's yeah. flights for the next day there's a lot of uh a lot of adult beverages consumed on that third day if a game isn't played and uh and it being old miss was neither here nor there it could have been it could have been oklahoma too just uh the people in the press box at that point are ready to uh are ready to chill
0: yeah and with how college baseball functions with every every team during the regular season the goal is is win your three-game series and suddenly omaha awesome. and conference championship stretch out yeah. i always joke my my wife went to tcu and so we're big tcu baseball fans and we always kind of joke that the big 12 championship game is usually a duel between like which team has the best guy who threw three innings this year and yeah it's, that's it and the, yeah the end of the bracket it, the bracket championship games in the college world series are like that too it's you literally have to have an unsung hero.
1: Well, and, and, and what happened with, with Fresno that year was, you know, back in the days of the WAC, and, and and this was the WAC that was so spread out. You know, there's it, it ran from Hawaii all the way to Louisiana Tech. And, you know, they've played four-game series. They would go on a Thursday – and, and would play through Sunday or they'd play a doubleheader in between. But they'd always play a four-game series because they were all traveling so much. they are like, we, you know, we can't always play a Tuesday game, so we're going to play mm-hmm. four the weekend. And I remember the light coming on for me. I think I wrote it in the book when all of a sudden I realized everybody else is trying to figure out, well, how are we going to do this with, with a third pitcher, a fourth pitcher, whatever. Fresno have been doing it all year because of, of the craziness of what was the wax schedule, but the fact that they were playing four-game series – you know they didn't just have the friday saturday sunday starter they had the friday saturday saturday sunday starter and so they already they already knew how to go deep and so in in the in the the dugout so it was uh it was an interesting it kind of played to their advantage which i don't think anybody realized until it happened
0: Mm -hmm. even with tanner shepherds going down i mean i i encourage everyone to go back and look at the book but it, it is just it's such a it's such a Incredible underdog story because they had they had one guy they had a dude they had their pick and Tanner Shepherds goes down and he doesn't even play in that in that postseason, um yeah incredible so so both the books everyone go check them out uh, but I, I want to leave you with this I ask every every player who comes on the show give yourself a pep talk you know right before you get drafted or whatever go back and give yourself a pep talk at 22 right before you walk into Asheville what would that pep talk look like.
1: Uh, the pep talk would be, hey, man, uh, you are a really skinny dude. Um, you are not physically cut out to change 52 kegs in a beer cooler one night on a Thursday, Thursday. You are not physically cut out to be pulling a, a tarp that's thousands and thousands of square footage of, of plastic and polyurethane. Uh, you are not physically cut out to carry endless boxes of souvenir cups Uh, down to the storage area. You're not physically cut out to to uh, separate drunks who are fighting in the grandstand on a thirsty Thursday. But you know what, dude? You can do it. And who knows? By the end of the summer, you might be physically fit to do all of it. You might be mentally fit to do all of it. And, uh, And I'd also tell that kid that, you know this, the book opens with me bombing my interview at ESPN and them saying, if you've not heard from us within 365 days of today, we're never calling. And I would tell that kid that summer, hey, man, hang on, because on the 362nd day, they're going to call you. So that's probably what I'd let him know.
0: That'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. Uh, little little rapid fire for you, then I'll let you get out of here. What's worse, the morning kids' day game or extra innings?
1: Uh, extra talking, innings. Yeah. And extra innings always happen on fireworks night. Always, of course. Uh, if it was fireworks night, you're going twelve innings and it was always a nightmare. Old
0: concession stand chicken fingers or old concession stand hot dog?
1: Hot dog all day long. Chicken fingers chicken fingers are questionable. Favorite minor league ballpark. Mm. I mean, I gotta say McCormick Field just because, just because that's so I I'll give you three. McCormick Field and I, cause I wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. Um uh truest field in Charlotte, because that's where I'm a season ticket holder but if uh it, it, my 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 built-in favoritisms uh notwithstanding um it is difficult to top being in toledo uh in what i still call, call the new ballpark, uh the way they incorporate those old warehouses and watching the most classic minor league team that there has ever been ever will be and that's uh the mud hens
0: Getting to Charlotte is a must for me. every picture of that skyline at the state oh, is incredible. My
1: wife, again, I drive my wife crazy with all this stuff, but she's like, How many phone how many pictures on your camera roll are of the skyline from the ballpark? And I'm like, probably two thirds of them. And you know what? Next week there's a home stand and I'll be taking another forty of them. It's perfection.
0: Uh college ballpark you haven't been to yet and would like to.
1: I have never been to a game at Arkansas. I have been, uh, I've been, in, I've been in the ballpark empty in the fall when I was there for football. But I've never been to a yeah. I've been to Ole Miss, I've been to Mississippi State, I've been to the Box, I've been to South Carolina. I've been, I've been to some amazing. I've been almost everywhere in the SEC. but I've never been to a game at Arkansas, and I'm told that that atmosphere is is way underrated.
0: Seems like it on TV. Um, last question. I always like to get a food question in. Best barbecue in North Carolina. All
1: right, so. You know this, there's the Eastern North Carolina deal versus the Western North Carolina deal. And for mm-hmm. for you people out there that don't know, Eastern North Carolina is vinegar based, which sounds gross to a lot of people, but it's not. And then Western North Carolina is tomato based. Um but I am a I'm a Lexington barbecue guy because Lexington to me is kind of a punt because you you have a vinegar based barbecue uh but you can also put a tomato based sauce on it. And uh yeah, every year at Christmas my brother just to, he said he's he he says he's profiling people. He wants to see who's who. He'll put out both kinds of barbecue. And just to make him mad, I'll mix the two of them. But but I'm a I'm old school. Uh give me uh give me Lexton barbecue and uh and 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 it's uh it's hard to beat the OG, and that's the OG. That is that is perfect. Perfect.
0: Uh Ryan, that is all I've got for you. Everyone, go check out Welcome to the Circus of Baseball, a story of the perfect summer. At the perfect ballpark, at the perfect time, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom of the Farm. Hey,
1: thank you, and and I, like I said, I got a daughter going to college uh, in the fall, so I need y'all to buy this book. So I, and everyone go do it. it. I couldn't
0: I, recommend I, it high enough.
1: I, I, I appreciate that, and, I, and you're in my target audience. So if you like it, then then I think uh, I think I'm I'm in the ballpark absolutely thank
0: Thank you so much ryan i appreciate it thank you bud and that's it for today's episode huge thanks to ryan mcgee for stopping by walking me through his new book his time as a minor league baseball intern and of course the 2008 college world series if you enjoy this episode subscribe wherever you get your podcast we'll see you in two weeks thanks for listening